Welcome to Hope Beyond the Badge, a podcast that brings awareness, inspiration, and conversation together for first responders, families, and others interested in mental well-being in first response. New episodes weekly with your hosts, Jay Bailey and Linda Kokoros. Jay is a father, a military veteran, worked in the fire service for 18 years, and carries a diagnosis of PTSD. Linda is a mom, a wife, a certified life coach for first responders, and a suicide loss survivor of a first responder. Let's talk about it. Today we have Treese Smock with us on the podcast. Treese has over 22 years in healthcare practice, focusing on cardiology, critical care, health coaching, and lifestyle wellness. Treese speaks nationally on mental wellness and suicide prevention and serves as an ambassador for nonprofit foundations that support mental wellness. This passion came to light for Treese when she lost her father to suicide in 2014. Treese currently serves as the Integrative Functional Medicine Practitioner with Protecting the Guardian, where their mission is to create, promote, and maintain the health and wellness of law enforcement officers through training and education. Therese, I know that uh, like is a very brief summary of all that, all that you do, um, and we're looking forward to hearing more about that. If you would please take a moment to introduce yourself to our audience. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jay and Linda, for having me today. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, you know, I'm honored. Unfortunately, some devastating events in our lives have brought us together, right? Yeah. But nonetheless, it's an honor to be able to share our stories. And, um, you know, I, I live for the passion to help people, having my entire career in healthcare and cardiology and critical care as a nurse. Um, you know, that's all I've done. And through that, I've learned about healing the body from the inside out. So we can go to the gym and work out, but if you're not putting the right nutrition in, not getting your sleep, you're not taking care of your mind. Um, you know, that really affects your physical well-being. Mm. So I've branched off and incorporated a lot of that into my health care and taking care of patients in cardiology. And, you know, through the years, I'm from a law enforcement family and um, my dad was in law enforcement and unfortunately we lost him to suicide, um, which opened up a whole new light to my world, um, through devastation and grieving. And, you know, I thought, how, how can I share this message? There's such a stigma around, um, PTSD and depression and mental illness and, it closes people in. So, you know, this was a new chapter and I said, wow, you know, I really like to help people, but having been put in this role now with, you know, losing my father, even as an adult, um, you know, it just gave me a new path. It gave Mm. me a new journey just to add more to everything I'm already doing. So sharing my story, um, what I went through as a survivor family, what my mom went through, you know, if that, captures one person's attention in an audience to change their outlook and change their mindset and let it sink in, then my job is done. You know, I, I am fulfilled for that moment. So 
I, you know, just honor my dad and this journey through sharing, um, you know, just really the awareness and it's okay to not be okay. Right. Like yeah. it's okay to get help. It's okay to talk yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, so breaking that stigma with people like yourselves is really my passion now. Um, so I'm excited for this journey and, and working with nonprofit and just really opening people's mind to a different light. Yeah. Um, I, I thank you for sharing, Teresa. I mean, it's, it's such a um, an important um, role to get into, right? Um, me and yes. you share, you know, that that between us, right? Of the loss of of a family member. Um, I want to go back a little bit first because I want to I want to start to lead in that journey. First, you have a lot of letters behind your name. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Right. Let's get into that and also be able to tie it into also, right, physical wellness is also ties in with mental wellness, right? They both connect. Um, do you want to share with us a little bit about that first and then we can lead into, um, you know, where we both are today, right? Sure, absolutely. So <clears throat> I, you know, part of incorporating your whole body as far as, you know, integrative functional nutrition. Um, yeah. You know, we, we focus a lot on here's a pill here. This will, you know, smooth over your anxiety and help you sleep a little bit better. But what is the root of the problem, right? Mm. We, we can give pills to fix and make a Band-Aid, but digging deep to find that root was um, a passion of mine. So focusing on functional medicine, which, um, you know, I incorporated with personal training and I was into fitness, just really knowing what foods would trigger, what foods help brain power. You know, there's studies out there where a ketogenic diet and more of the healthy fats uh, really helps the brain function and chemical balance, where instead of maybe taking, you know, a pill to help your anxiety or depression or PTSD, just changing your diet a little bit and incorporating the right food. So I really studied into that, um, being a registered nurse and, you know, focusing on my cardiac patients. You know, I started with them before I even lost my dad. So then when I lost my dad, it moved into more of the social, psychiatric, mental wellness portion. Mm. Um, so I think it's important, not only just someone who's diagnosed or not diagnosed, just to really eat a healthy, balanced diet. The world's changed. You know, we're post-COVID. Well, I guess post-COVID, right? We're, we're over the hump. Yeah. Um, let's hope. So, you know, everything's changed for everyone. And um, I think we as a society have realized nutrition and um, exercise and hydration is really important. You know, I I was addicted to caffeine. I worked nights as a nurse. I drank coffee after coffee after coffee, and then I couldn't understand why I couldn't sleep during the daytime, right? So mm. it's just, it got me through the night. We kind of put Band-Aids on things, especially as first responders, um, healthcare workers, you know, fire, military. You're just out there to get the job done. So we tend to take care of everyone else first, and don't take care of ourselves. And yeah. then we have to take a step back and say, hey, you know, I can't fix patients or help anyone in need if I'm not helping myself. Yeah, um, wow. So, yeah, that's where I really, um, you know, incorporated the functional medicine portion. So it's important to just spouses and family members, um, you know, significant others of those who are first responders. It's very important to understand their role um, and how you can help them and incorporate and in being a support system. Yeah. So, 
Um, that's where the functional medicine came in. Um, you know, just really food is medicine. So we just need to incorporate what's correct and what works for us. Yeah. It's, and all, it's not a one, one size fits all, like everyone's different. Yeah. So. And just like anything else, I suppose, you know, we're hope beyond the badge, right? We talk about mental health and first response to men- mental wellness and first response and families, but also, you know, food is also a coping mechanism, right? Um, for, for just like anything else is a coping mechanism of what to take in, right. To get through the day, get through the shift or whatever. So is Mm -hmm. that what made you get into, is it, is that what made you get into that is, is the functional medicine, um, the fitness, the food, is that what made you get into that? Is that the looking at first response and also your cardiac, um, patients, um, but then diving into, wow, how can I incorporate that into first response after losing your dad? Correct. Correct. So I was a fitness competitor, um, you know, my early twenties, right out of sight of college. And I learned, you know, a little bit of nutrition in nursing school, but not how the body functions. So just switching your protein up, you know, I responded better to more of a turkey chicken than I did to red, red meat. Well, some people respond better to red meat. Yeah. So until you really dive down and do it like a good cleanse, get rid of all the sugars and get rid of those addictive foods that give us quote comfort. So I learned a lot about nutrition through my own trials and error, um, through competing, doing like fitness competitions on, you know, how to get lean, but still have enough energy to make it through the workout and make it through the day where you have all these yo-yo dieting and, you know, carb cycling and carbs are bad and fats are bad. Well, we need a little bit of everything. You just have to make the proper choices. Mm. So that's where it started. And then I saw how adding and deleting things for myself, um, for my diet nutrition would help me either have stronger workouts, less strong workouts. Um, I felt better. I had headaches. I didn't have headaches. So then I thought, how do I incorporate this into my cardiac patients that I see, you know, they're both, they're, you know, just had open heart surgery. They've had a heart attack, you know, they need lifestyle changes. So, just incorporating that and sharing my journey with them, not as a patient of cardiac disease, but showing them pictures. This is what I look like when I just ate comfort foods. This is how I felt. I would log it and journal it and then having time to actually share with them. Uh, you know, they're talking and looking at the person that's in these photos and in these, you know, testimonies it really kind of hit home. And I said, let's just change one thing. Everybody wants to jump on, you know, the bandwagon of it's new years. I'm going to change everything. No, I actually did it with one of my um, cardiologists that I work with just for lunch. We changed because they always used to tease me eating chicken and broccoli and sweet potatoes. How boring is that? And, you know, I said, yeah, but I feel good. You know, I don't have that post meal, like slump Slump. energy that we get when we eat too many carbs. So I did it with my cardiologist, one of them, for 30 days. He said, okay, I'm going to eat exactly what you eat just for lunch. I don't know what his wife cooked him at dinner. I don't know what he ate at on the weekends. But just making that one change for lunch, no Coke, you had water, and you ate chicken, broccoli, and a sweet potato. He lost 15 pounds. Wow. So then he started sharing that with our patients. So, you know, it's 
it's really them seeing you do it too. So that's where it started. And then I said, you know, I want to learn more. I want to get certified. I want, this is a new wave of medicine instead of putting band-aids on everything. So I, I got my certification in functional medicine and, and health coaching. And so then our patients who had high cholesterol, high blood pressure that didn't have a cardiac event as in a heart attack or open heart surgery yet, yeah. I said, let's prevent you from getting there. So we made those changes and I said, bring the wife, bring the husband. If you've got children at home, bring them to your visit. Let's talk as a whole. So, because it's gotta be a family package, right? You can't put chicken nuggets for the kids while you're trying to eat something healthy. So, um, you know, slowly I started doing that and we incorporated, um, you know, more on an, an interest base where our physicians would refer them to me to educate and have those teaching moments. And I could assess whether they were interested or they're just there because the doctor sent them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then those would continue. Then they started seeing results. So once I lost my dad, you know, I said, I saw the mental changes in my patients. They felt better. They, um, you know, were happier that I have more energy. I don't even finish my cup of coffee in the morning. You know, I don't need to because I, I wake up and I feel rested. I have less inflammation. I'm not achy. So I saw those changes in my patients. And then when I lost my dad, I, the first thing we go to comfort, right? I went into survival mode. Um, I'm an only child. So protect mom, you know, mom was absolutely devastated. Her and my dad were, you know, high school sweethearts, married for almost 40 years. And I was 34 at the time my dad passed. Um, They had just put their house on the market for sale. And our family, my mom and I tend to be non-eaters when we get stressed. So making sure she's eating enough, making sure that I'm, you know, she's already going through the grieving process and emotionally, you know, torn apart that I, I need to pump good nutrition into her. And I said, okay, then let's just do protein shakes. So I got a good plant-based protein powder and I was throwing spinach and cucumbers and apples and anything I could into this smoothie that she was drinking. So it's kind of like a milkshake, yeah. um, but it was full of nutrition. So I really just focused on my mom and I to make sure we were eating healthy. And if you don't feel like eating, then let's, you need to drink something. So let's just have a protein shake. Um, And then, you know, she was super thankful for that. And then I started doing studies on mental wellness and, you know, I had survivor guilt. How am I a nurse? And I couldn't see the signs that my dad was displaying of depression and you think it's never going to happen to you. And, um, you know, just a lot of survivor guilt. You start to go back and now all these red flags are popping up and you realize now that's something I should have paid a little bit more attention to. Um, Yeah. So I just started looking in more to how these diets and nutrition help with post-traumatic stress disorder, with depression, with anxiety. And, you know, there really was a time where the ketogenic diet, you can do an unhealthy ketogenic diet and you can do a healthy version. So people think just eat fat. So you're eating bacon and eggs all day long and hamburgers. And as long as it doesn't have a lot of sugar and carbs, but then now your cholesterol's through the roof and now you're on, you know, a cholesterol lowering medication. So, focusing on healthy fats, avocado, coconut oil, that kind of stuff. Um, You know, I started looking at studies and I said, "Hmm, let's try it. And I noticed I did a trial with myself where I eat the bad fats in a ketogenic diet. Yes, I lost weight, but I did my blood work 
and my cholesterol was through the roof. My cardiologist that I work with were like, uh, no, you need a statin for lowering your cholesterol. Mm. So then I switched it and I started doing more of healthy fats, the avocados, the fish oil, the salmon, um, rechecked my cholesterol after three months and it had gone back down to normal, no lowering of blood, you know, cholesterol medication needed. And so then again, I had proof from myself to show my patients. Mm. And then I also felt better. Like my mind was clear, you know, even though I was going through the grieving process of my father, um, I could focus because there was a moment there where I couldn't focus through anything. And I said, this is normal to grieve after losing someone, especially traumatically. So how do I support myself to be able to grieve in the best way for me? Yeah. Um, my mom saw it, you know, she felt better. So just really incorporating healthy nutrition. Um, you know, I'm not saying every ketogenic isn't for everybody, mm. but it does have proven studies that it helps the brain yeah. and that helps those chemical imbalances. Yeah. So it sounds like what I'm hearing from you is that you're able to, you start to zoned in on that space during the time of your grieving, that initial grieving right at, right at the beginning um, and be able to focus on that in some sort of wellness rather than getting out of control right um absolutely um losing control um absolutely can we go into that a little bit about your dad um like you said how did did I notice not notice that how did I not notice this I'm a nurse I should have noticed that the survivor's guilt right get into us share with us a little bit about that like leading up to your dad passing um Mm -hmm. in hindsight right um now now right in hindsight what you know now than before right can you take us can you take us through that journey sure um so the history behind it was as you mentioned you know uh we tend coping mechanisms with food and alcohol and shift work and you know we we first responders tend to have the worst diets and the worst sleeping patterns and the worst, you know, workout plans of any, um, hobbies are typically to, you know, the bottle or the beer or, you know, smoking cigarettes. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the healthiest hobbies and habits when we're off work. Mm. Um, so with my dad, he, he was a longtime smoker. Um, you know, he worked for 25 years in law enforcement and he retired very young. He was 48, I want to say, when he actually retired Mm. and, you know, said, I'm going to take some time off. I'm not going to work right away. Um, Once you get used to that retirement life, it's kind of hard to go back to a job. Yeah. So he was retired um, for almost 10 years when he passed. Uh, House was paid for, had a hunting camp, you know, had the world. Everybody's like, I don't understand. Um him and mom had a great marriage. She was obviously still young too and couldn't retire when he wanted to, but literally all his job was to win his hunting season. Then it was fishing season, had a boat, um, had a hunting camp, you know, had his new truck, had all the toys, the bells and whistles that he worked hard for and literally planned for their next vacation. Okay. So when's the next vacation, but through all that, it sounds all great, right? Us yeah. who work and we're super busy, we're like, oh, that's perfect life. Yeah. However, he's enjoying that, it. Yeah. You, you lose contact with people. You know, he warned me. He said, your phone rings 24 7 now. You're in healthcare administration. Everybody needs you. The day you're done, your phone won't ring. And then 
you feel like you've lost purpose, right? When we get up, our alarm clock goes off. We're like, oh man, I want to hit snooze. I'd love to sleep in. But when you don't have to do it, you start to get in a slump, right? You feel like you have no purpose in life from a professional standpoint, especially when you go from a busy career. Yeah. Um, so he really started to lose purpose. I even, you know, said, Hey, let's spruce up your resume. You know, you've done all of these things in law enforcement. You could go do corporate security at, you know, we are not far from the Daytona beach international speedway, go do corporate security for them, go do something fun that it doesn't matter the income or if there's any income at all. It's something you've always wanted to do just to stay busy, yeah. just to socialize with people yeah. on a day-to-day basis. No, no, not yet. Not yet. Well, he started becoming best friends with the bottle and, you know, happy hour after work when mom got home, turned into noon, turned into right when mom would leave for work. Um, so mm. that became his coping mechanism. Mm. He did for a while get a part-time job because he used to race off car, off, um, off-road racing when he was younger. So he did get a part-time job like with car parts and just kind of delivery, something, you know, small, just to keep him busy. Uh, you know, the young kids, he couldn't handle working with the younger kids of the generation and the work <laughs> ethic. So I said, well, we don't want you to have a heart attack over your fun job you're supposed to have. So, you know, then he, he would quit in between hunting season and fishing season. He'd find something to tinker with. And um, so all of his buddies that he hunted and fished with, you know, they still had to work. So they could only hunt and fish for a certain amount of time. Yeah. And you know, again, he retired so young that his his group that he hung out with was just not available as much as he was. Mom's still working. I was grown out of the house. You know, I had my job. Um, mm. So my our first yellow lab that we had, he babysat the yellow lab. So that was kind of his job, right? I literally, at that time, I was still doing floor nursing in ICU and my boyfriend worked in law enforcement. So, you know, we were working shift work. And so I would take the dog to dad and he would babysit and I would pick the dog up on my way home just to more so to give him purpose. Right. Yeah. So, um, he just, you know, started drinking more, um, noticed he wasn't hanging out with his friends as much like lunch, you know, you can accommodate to their time. Yeah. So, uh, we went actually on a cruise, a family cruise leading up to actually the passing, um, January of 14, 2014, um, for my birthday, we went on a family cruise. It was great. He and mom had planned to go on a cruise in May for their 40th anniversary. So I really think his situation was an in the moment. Yeah. Um, when, when he took his life, he, um, I saw last I saw him was Super Bowl weekend in 2014. And, you know, they say, listen to your intuition. And, you know, healthcare workers are really good about intuition. We're really tuned into that. Mm. And we're taking care of patients who are lifeless sometimes. And you just have to figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, we went over, I took the dogs and we had a great time. But when my dog hugged me that night, it was a different kind of hug. And I didn't notice it at the time. Like it triggered me that night when I left to go home after the Super Bowl. I was like, that was a little bit different. But am I just being a, a chick? Am I just being a girly girl? You know, am I yeah. just emotional? But I, my intuition told me it was a different kind of hug, kind of like you didn't want to let go. Mm. Well, that's the last time I saw him. So it was the Sunday before this, his, he took his life. Um, 
we text every day, uh, you know, love you, dad, just with his job. You know, you just unfortunately don't know if you're going to come home or not. So we never hung up or left the house without saying, I love you. Yeah. And I left and went home and everything was fine. And uh, we had text through the day, so or, or through the week. And that following Friday, he, um, it was Valentine's Day is the day that he had took his life. Um, we had plans to go out to dinner. I was going to meet mom and him after dinner, uh, after work, go to dinner. And, you know, he would take it, wouldn't take his phone out when he would do yard work. So if I text him and he didn't reply for two or three hours, it really wasn't abnormal because he's like, you know, this phone or pager was hooked to my hip for the whole time of my career. I am not being attached to any technology. Yeah. So, okay, no big deal. Mom was at work. Um, I was at work on this Friday, he was home, we were supposed to go to dinner and, you know, he started withdrawing now hindsight, he started withdrawing a little bit, um, had moments of depression. He really had a troubled childhood. Um, didn't really know his biological father, which always Mm. played on him in the back of his mind. Um, his mom, rest her soul is just a woman who probably shouldn't have had children. I'm thankful she did because she had my dad and that's why I'm here. But just one of those moms like, here you are, now go figure out life, right? Yeah. He ended up moving in with my mom and her family when he was 14. So it's almost like, you know, my grandfather, my mom's dad said, it was like a son and daughter almost getting married. It was kind of weird because they kind of raised my dad. Yeah. So just no real guidance, you know, he just kind of had to find his way and he was said, I'm breaking the mold. And he really tried rekindling his relationship with his mom and she just didn't want it, you know, took her flowers, actually never attended their wedding, didn't Mm. come to the hospital when I was born, didn't attend his police academy graduation, just not involved at all. And I really think that just hung on him, Um, you know, and there would be time to time and really a lot around the holidays, he would bring that up and talk about it. So there were moments of depression and there were moments where he was drinking a little bit more, um, you know, and law enforcement, military specifically don't like to go to counseling, especially his generation. Like I'm not going to therapy, you know, I know I've got issues. What's the therapist going to do? Just talk, talk to me, talk to me. Um, and I'm like, yeah, but it's okay. No one needs to know. It's also the stigma, right? That stigma was stuck with him. Yeah. And I said, well, no one needs to know if we go to therapy. Why don't we just go as a family, just the three of us, you know, you, me, mom, let's figure it out. We'll work together. It's just our little family secret. Was he in denial no, of that, Trace? He was. was he, did like he, he, he didn't, he, he was like, I'm okay. Like, what was his reaction well, to those things? Well, he knew things? he wasn't okay, but, um, you know, he's like, what do I need to go to a therapist to tell, for them to tell me that I messed up? I mean, use a different few choice words, but, um, yeah. you know, I don't need to go to a therapist for them to tell me that I messed up. I know I have issues and I'm like, okay, but they can help work through those issues to get you to a place where it doesn't send you into depression about your mom. And, you know, they, law enforcement, fire, healthcare, we see things in the line of work that, you know, traumatize you and yeah. they are in your, in your brain, engraved in your brain forever. Um, you know, he, when I was a baby, he worked a crib death. So it was relatable to his life. You know, when I turned 16 and I was driving, he worked a horrible car accident with a girl with long blonde hair. And of course it relates to home life. Mm. And, you know, you can't always talk about what goes on in law enforcement, fire, military. So, Mm. you know, there was probably some things that happened in his crew that he couldn't even talk about with mom and I, um, to be his sounding board and to be that vent for him and to get it off his chest. Mm. So, 
um, we did have moments where mom was just like, you know, dad's act, he's just closed. He's not really, you know, kind of just doesn't want to get out of the house and, um, doesn't want to do anything. And, you know, I come home and I want to have happy hour with him by the pool, but you know, maybe he's been drinking a little bit too much through the day and he's ready to go to bed when I get home at five o'clock. Yeah. So just the typical signs of depression, right? Just yeah. sleep it off. Let's drink. Let's yeah. suppress it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, had some few, a few conversations with him about, you know, let's just go to therapy. Nope. I'm not going to therapy for someone to tell me that I messed up. I already know I have issues. Mm. So in denial, yeah. Not in denial that he had issues that he should have worked through, but in denial of I'm not going to go to therapy. So, um, okay. Never really. And he knew I was very attentive to, to his actions. Right. Um, you know, he was an avid hunter, so he's not going to give me any signs that, you know, he's going to harm himself. Um, mm. you know, cops are very good at hiding those kind of things. Yeah. Like a criminal, right. Yeah. You have uh-huh. to anticipate what, the people you're dealing on the streets are going to do. Yeah. So he was just very good at suppressing everything. Um, I'm part him. So he knows I'm very kind of investigative, like, and pick up on signs. So I obviously didn't want him to lose, you know, his hunting rights or, you know, you know, any kind of Baker act. He never gave me any reason to need to Baker act him as a healthcare provider. Um, we would have conversations and he's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, but you're drinking a little too much. You know, we'd have those daughter, father talks, the family talks. And, yeah. you know, dad's always dad though. Right. It's like, mm. I can only say so much as the daughter. Mm. So, um, that specific day, mom said he was fine the day before, um, that specific day I had text him, you know, happy Valentine's day. I love you. Can't wait to see you tonight for dinner. I lived maybe 10 minutes away from them at this point. And, um, he said, you know, happy Valentine's day. Love you too. Um, there were times leading up to going out to dinner prior, he would be like, ah, just bring me something home, right? Mm. You and mom go, just bring me something home. So this next piece that I'm getting ready to tell you wasn't completely abnormal. Um, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm probably not going to go to dinner tonight. You know, mate, you and mom go enjoy and I'll just bring me something home. So wasn't a huge red flag. It's not like it's the first time he did it. Yeah. And at that point he had a flip phone. The iPhones had just come out and he's like, I'm not all into this technology. So he had a flip phone, which is important in detail in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, so I had texted him, dad, I understand, you know, I love you. I, I just want you to be happy. I, you know, I didn't know if him and mom were having problems in a marriage. Like I'm an adult, right? I'm 34 at this point. I live on my own. Um, you know, I just want you to be happy, whatever that means. Mm. And, um, you know, it hurts me to see you hurt. Let, we can talk. Let's, you know, let's talk, let's figure it out. So I sent him a long text message. Intuition told me go home at lunch, like to my parents' house. My intuition told me go home at lunch. I had a meeting. It was a big meeting at work. And I'm like, no, I can't cancel it. He'll be fine. Um, I almost took the dogs over for him to watch this day too. Um, Mm. so I really pay attention to my intuition nowadays. So I didn't, um, go home at lunch. Um, mom and I went to dinner to his favorite restaurant, like 435 early. And our conversation at dinner was how her and I were going to go to therapy, just the two of us to talk to someone to figure out how we get dad to go to therapy. Yeah. (laughs) That that was our entire conversation at dinner on Valentine's day. Yeah. 
So we finish, we figure it out. She's going to look insurance. We're going to figure it all out and go. I got home before she did because I live closer to the restaurant. I'm literally walking my two dogs at that point. And she texts me and I always carry my phone just because, you know, you never know something's going to happen. She texts me, come over now. Do not ask questions. Just come now. And I knew right then and there it wasn't good. Um, Didn't know at this point, you know, is he, has he drank too much? Is he threatening mom? Like, obviously she was well enough to text me, you know, 50 million things go through your head with a text message like that. Yeah. Yeah. I run back to the house, drop the dogs off. I fly, get pulled over for speeding. Um, I fly to my parents' house that it obviously had already gone out. So my parents lived in the same home that, um, they lived in for since I was four. So a 30 years at that point, And my mm. dad worked in the same county that they lived in. So well. when the call went out from their address, they knew it was a retired law enforcement officer. So the town, the city that pulled me over already knew. So my last name was the same as my parents. And um, he actually escorted me off the highway to be able to get to my parents' house. And oh I literally goodness. turned down. It was very kind of him, right? I'm crying, probably got mascara all down my face when he pulled me over, got, gave him my license. Um, I turned down their street and my heart sunk at that point. I knew it was a fatality. Um, yeah. Police, fire, EMS. I couldn't even get down the street to be to him um, or my mom. I pulled in, I mean, every adjoining county, every city. So I walked up to my mom and I just looked up, of course she's bawling. And I just looked at her and I said, he didn't like, I knew at that point he took his life. I knew it. And she, yes, he had taken his life. Um, so I didn't see him that night. They actually wouldn't let us, uh, I guess it had been some time. Mm. Um, since it happened. So at this point, it's like 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. Um, so we actually sat in the garage. And it, one funny thing out of this is my mom loved her margaritas. And my dad drank all of her tequila that day. So she said, you know, he couldn't even leave me enough tequila to have one margarita <laughs> while we have to go through this. Oh, my goodness. So I said, well, it's probably for the better. Because then again, now you are suppressing your emotions with alcohol. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it was amazing the support we had. Um, He didn't leave a note. He, um, his blood alcohol level was like three times the legal limit on autopsy. Um, One of the neighbors actually came over and said, you know, it's weird that morning, um, you know, Mark, my dad's name is Mark, uh, brought over some racing stuff. This this guy was like a mechanic and had some racing stuff. He goes, he gave me some racing stuff. He was cleaning out the attic. And oh, he was giving you know, he goes, I thought that was kind of weird, but my parents just put the house on the market to sell two days prior. Um, and they were going to buy something smaller in Florida and then buy something smaller in Tennessee. So they could kind of go back and forth. Yeah. Um, so that had been all planned. Um, uh, so of course, you know, devastation sets in the support we had, you know, was amazing from, you know, my dad's friends and the victim advocate, um, you know, you just go into shock. And at that point, mm. you know, it's, I, I, as a child, as a, a first responder, a healthcare provider, I went into protection mode. So I suppressed my emotions, my grieving, my feelings to take care of mom. Mm. Um, you know, she was, 
non-functioning. Yeah. Like everything for his service, his funeral, his cremation. She couldn't answer her phone. I got the dogs, brought them over. Well, that first couple nights, she ended up staying with me because mm. um, they had to come in and kind of clean. Um, but you know, it's, they lived 150, it's the little things and details, which people don't realize that my parents lived 150 feet off of the street. So a long front yard, long driveway. Well, when, um, they came to get my dad's body, they pulled right up the driveway in the grass. So you had these long tire marks through 150 feet of grass. You know how long Left it behind. takes for those to go away? So now yeah. every time we in the driveway this is all my mom sees right mm. so it's just those little details which I get why they did it but still it's something that triggers the family yeah so my mom had survivor guilt you know um he didn't even know we looked through everything we went to the hunting camp in South Carolina I was hoping to find something uh and I know it was in the moment because I know my dad would not if he was planning it he would not have left my mom and I to drive to South Carolina to a hunting camp that he had to have to pack it up, haul it home or sell it. I mean, he left his hunting camp as if he was returning. Like it wasn't packed up or anything like that. Um, as if that chapter was closed for him. So it, I really do think it wasn't in the moment. Um, Mark DeBona actually could speak to it Um in a little bit more detail, but he showed up that night. He was actually, I think, working and off duty or something. Mm. Um, he worked with my dad. Yeah. And uh, he said when they found my dad, he was sitting in his reclining chair in the living room. And um, he had his wallet open to his retired ID and his badge for the sheriff's office. So I don't know if he was reflecting on yeah. his career. Yeah. Um, I do know that if he would have done something like this in the middle of the woods, he probably would have done that for identification, but he was in his own house. So mm. I don't think it was an identification yeah. uh, type of thing, but he, um, yeah, he had it open and, you know, Mark shared that with me years after I, I didn't realize that, um, my significant other Rick was, he worked for Orange County an adjoining, um, sheriff's office at that time. And obviously he was there. He did see my dad you know, my mom said, can you please go see him just to make sure it's really him? Like she, when in, you, your mind does crazy things, right? Yeah. Maybe it's not really him. Maybe somebody broke in the back window. Like, are you sure he did it? Mm. But uh, my mom is the one who found him. Uh, my dad knew she was going to be the one to find him because she fortunately didn't see his entire body. Um, the way you walked into the house, you walked into the garage through the kitchen and then another doorway into the living room. And my dad's like re recliner chair was to the left. He always kept his firearm, um, you know, handy. I grew up with it on the counter. I knew not to touch it just mm. because, you know, he, you, arrest people and uh, they're coming for your wife and your kids and your family. Yeah. So we've actually had some people show up to our house, you know, and he was, he always carried. And so it wasn't abnormal, but <clears throat> it was out of the holster. So when my mom walked in, she said, she just saw his legs like kind of kicked back in the chair. Like he was sleeping, had his blanket on taking a nap. Mm -hmm. But what she noticed is he had time to actually toss the gun um, in the doorway, walking from the kitchen to the living room. And that stopped my mom because it was out of the holster and it was mm. laying in the middle of the floor. 
Wow. Um, so that was assigned to her. It was always in the holster when it was just hanging around that, you know, by his chair or in yeah. the kitchen. Yeah. So, um, she stopped and she's, you know, which I'm thankful because she probably would have had a heart attack just seeing him. Yeah. Um, and then she just walked back out of the house and he always said, if anything ever happens to any of us, don't call each other first, call 911. So she did that. And that's why she texted me. Um, but you know, he took his life. He shot himself in the chest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, he was an amazing man and everybody was shocked. I think the most, um, taken back person was the Massey pest control. He knew more about my dad than anyone. Wow. And my mom didn't understand why. And of course she's not thinking rationally. And I said, well, mom, think about it. He's not going to tell his friends that have access to us that he's depressed and he has no hope and he has no purpose. The, the Massey pest control guy comes to spray the yard when you're at work and I'm not there. Dad's the only one there. So they have these deep conversations because he has no connection to it. Let us know like, Hey, Mark's really depressed. Like yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah. Our conversation today was not well. Um, but yeah, the Massey pest control guy was like, you know, he brought me in the house and he showed me like all of his awards and credentials. And he's like, these mean nothing. You know, I just have no purpose. If I go tomorrow, who cares? Well, of course, we learn this after the fact because mm. he doesn't have a direct, you know, connection. He actually told one of his friends, like, they said, yeah, we asked him to come, you know, have some chicken wings and have a beer for lunch. And dad said, oh, no, I'm not drinking anymore. You know, I'm trying to eat healthy, which was that that suppression, right? No, yeah. he's drinking at home. He's drinking behind closed doors. He's not drinking in front of anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. So looking back, that hug on, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, now I know kind of what it meant. It wasn't planned mm. and truly, but he was on the brink of, you know, yeah, taking his life. Yeah. Um, you know, Absolutely. could you have said I could have gone over when I knew he wasn't home or told mom, go out for dinner. I'm going to come over and get all the guns and remove them from the house. Like you could, yeah. could have, should have, would have, right? Yeah, like, Absolutely. He was very mm. good at hiding. Um, I would see enough depression, like I said, but not enough to say, hey, yeah. I, I need to admit you. I need a Baker Act to you. We need to get you help now. It was never to that point. Yeah. Um, but he was he was good at that. That was his whole career, right? Yeah, a lot. Oh, so many of them are, right? Yeah. So it sounds like that he, you know, I'm not assuming, right? Um, we, none of us know for sure, right? Um, Correct. Um, after the fact, right, that are lost, but the it sounds like I just got to got a feeling, you know, the the his ID, like from his his career, and um, you know, it feels like that was his identity, right? He had put so much of his life into that. That was his thing, and he, yes. even though he retired young, right. Um, and he had all these hobbies that he was doing that was very much a part of his life, right? He still had the gun in the holster, like as if he was the protector, right? Exactly. Um, always a protector. Jay, do you want to chime in on that a little bit or no? no. Um, yeah, I, Teresa, I'm very sorry for your loss. Yeah. Thank you for, Thank you. Uh, for sharing that. And at one point you were talking about how you went into kind of protective mode with, with your mother. Mm. Um, can, can you talk a little about how that, interacted with with your grieving process and maybe whether you were you were aware that that was even happening as like a response Mm. right absolutely um 
I don't think at the moment I was aware that that was happening. It's kind of just that natural response to say, hey, I'm all she has. I have to, dad would want me to do this, right? And I, I really feel like when he left, he passed on his strength to me because there's been things in the last, you know, this February will be 10 years. There's things that I look back and I'm like, I don't, I, I thought I was strong, but how did I get through that, you know, in, in these last 10 years? Mm. So I, I think it was just that natural between a, a healthcare worker, like I have a patient coding no matter what, you know, I've got mom in a crisis and I've, she's selling a house, um, you know, packing a house. Now we, they had a pool, they had a yard, like she's, dad did everything. He was the manly man of the house. So mm. I need know, to step up, of, right. I need to step exactly. up. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, where are my siblings now? Why did they decide to have an only child? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, my significant other Rick was amazing. He really stepped up and helped, um, you know, took care of the yard, the pool, made sure we were safe. Um, I, I think it was just that, you know, I don't have human children. I call my fur babies, my kids, but it's like, you want to take that pain away. Like yeah. I wanted to do anything and everything I could to just take that pain away from my mom. Cause I knew initially how I felt completely numb as a daughter. I couldn't imagine the love of this being your love of your life. Right. Yeah. Uh, you have all these plans for future right? You're going to sell. You just listed the house two days ago. So it was really like her dealing with everything. Um, you know, what bills and making sure bills were paid and yeah. his truck payment. And, you know, you don't think about all those little things when you're just like, in sh literally in shock. Right. Mm. So, um, just really focusing on her and making sure she was getting sleep. Um, yeah, she had to go on some, some Xanax, you know, she had, she did have to take a temporary moment of helping pharmaceutical, helping her, yeah. um, in addition to me being there, I didn't want her alone. Um, I never had the fear of, you know, her taking her life, mm. but never say never. Mm. Right. I never yeah. thought my dad either. Yes, absolutely. So I didn't want her to fall in to a depression either and go get her tequila and drink her margaritas to, you know, her Norm her pain. Yeah. The broken heart syndrome is true. Um, you know, so obviously being very young still, I just really went into survival mode to make sure like bills were still getting paid. Um, you know, people were coming to see the house and, you know, I even asked her, do you want to keep the house? Do you want to take it off the market? Is this something you want to reevaluate? And, you know, at that point, no, because it's something that they had together and she feels like the chapter's closed and I don't want to live here because of everything that happened. So I really did. I took time and was able to work remotely because I was in, you know, healthcare management. So I was not doing bedside nursing at that point. Mm. Um, but I took some time off work to just to help her clean out things. And, you know, today we need a spa day today. We just need to go sit by the pool today. We want to go to the beach, like really trying to just keep her busy mm -hmm. uh, was my main focus to help her over the grieving process. Process. Uh, she was in denial, did not want to go to counseling or therapy at first. And I said, that's okay. Everybody grieves at a different pace. Everybody grieves differently. Maybe therapy and counseling isn't your in your pathway right now. And that's okay. But you're not going to be alone. I'm not here to babysit you. But, you know, I'm definitely staying at the house. So I ended up staying at the house with her um, until it sold. The house sold two months after um, so she stayed busy with packing things up, um, you know, getting rid of things. And I said, 
Make sure that you're not making emotional decisions. So things you want to sell, dad's tools, you know, the air compressor. Yeah. I, I kept this truck. So we kept this truck. I still have this truck. I'll keep it forever. Even when it stops running, it'll be in storage somewhere. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's got 40,000 miles on it and it's a 2012. So it's like going to be like this, you know, collectible item, I'm sure. Yeah. But there's certain things, you know, I kept all of his hunting rifles, my significant other kept all of his like hunting gear, he's military law enforcement. So it was right up his alley, right? Yeah. Um, I said, don't get rid of things out of emotion. You know, we tend to just, I want to close this chapter, get rid of everything, you know, keep, keep some shirts, keep some clothes. So we can put it all in bags and we can put it in a closet and we can go through things later if we need to. Yeah. Um, You know, and we were just really trying to find, like I went into panic mode. I was checking every like pocket of his jeans, every pocket in a shirt. Is there a letter somewhere? Did he write it and say not today and put it away? Um, you know, we couldn't find his passport. We had just gotten back from a cruise, not even a month, literally a month before. So where did his passport go? Did he shred it? Um, we ended up finding it hidden in a book. He used it as like a bookmarker. Yeah. I was reading a book or something, but, yeah. um, you know, just really, she took leave from work. Um, unfortunately for her, she worked in insurance and she worked in life insurance, um, wow. which really means you know, dealing with death claims, you're paying yeah, life insurance yeah. policies mm-hmm. and they had life insurance through her work. So another one of her coworkers had to work my dad's claim. And then, you know, when she went back to work and she was ready, it's, I don't know if it just stuck out to her because of what she was going through, but she says every claim I get feels like it's a suicide claim. So then they had to start, you know, she's like, I can't deal with paying suicide claims. It just, it triggers her. Um, So, Mm. you know, there were those things, but ironically where I was living, I was living in an apartment complex at the time and in a, you know, very nice area. And so I said, no, you need to move closer. You know, you sold the house. I I can upgrade to a bigger apartment. She's like, I'm not going to live with you. You're a grown, you know, adult, like it's okay. Mm. So, you know, call it fate, call it what you want. The only apartment that was available at that time, two months after my dad had passed was the apartment above me. It was really, really, really interesting. And, you know, so I just kept her busy. She worked from home. We moved her in. Um, you she know, moved in. A, she, so she moved in up above you? Wow. Yeah, it was two separate apartments. Yeah. But the only two-bedroom apartment that was available in this whole apartment complex, right then and there, was the apartment right above me. Wow. And I was like, I was on the first floor. Um, so I was like, you know, clearly it was meant to be. Yes. So as things, you know, a year went by, two years went by. She's like, okay, maybe we're a little too close. And I was like, okay, well maybe it's the time. So I ended up getting, buying a townhouse and you know, which was still close. Mm. Um, but she never really went to therapy. She never went and, you know, talked to anyone in counseling. Uh, you know, she had her moments. It's been 10 years. Um, we would talk a lot. You know, I could tell in her behavior and as close as we were, like I was super close to my parents, almost too close. Right. You you get too close sometimes. Yeah. I I didn't think my mom and I could become any closer as adults. We were best friends. And let me tell you, when my dad passed, we were like inseparable. Mm. It was, you know, it was amazing Mm. how we bonded so well. I had taken a break from fitness competitions, but after my dad had passed, I said, okay. 
it's time for me to focus, have goals. I started doing fitness competitions again, which my mom would travel with me when we went. It gave her purpose. I'm like, hey, mom, I'm going to the gym. She would come with me, you know, so kind of really just incorporated her. Um, You can say I kind of put my life on hold to a degree, but that's what the priority for me was at that time um, was her to make sure she was okay, especially since she was not wanting to get therapy and counseling. Mm. Uh, So I I pretty much put my social life, my relationship life on hold and thought, you know what? True friends, true companions are going to support you through this. And if you're not, then maybe we're just not meant to be in each other's lives at this time. But this is what I need. Um, Everyone's super supportive and, you know, I'm happy to say with this tragedy, my mom now just got remarried this year. She met an amazing guy. Wow. Uh, it was hard for me to let go. I'm like, nope, he has to ask me. I need to meet him. <laughs> um, you know, he's uh, he's also a widow, not, you know, from suicide, but yeah. lost his wife. So I said, I was very nervous about the dating world. I'm like, mom, you can't date in today's dating world. You know, there's so many games out there. And, mm. You know, you haven't dated in, in how long? Yeah. So I was just afraid of her being taken advantage of. But mm. she's met a wonderful guy. We, he has an only child. You know, we have a blended family. He's a great guy. I, I, I'm i really happy for her. Um, you know, and she said, never, your dad was my true love. Yeah. I'm never getting married. I'm never, 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 never. Well, again, ever say never. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's eye opening. Yeah. And you know, the dog, my, the dog, the puppy that my dad watched, yeah. you know, yeah. it was his name. Uh, he literally had to go on puppy Xanax when he lost my dad. Uh, he ran around the whole entire house looking for my father because uh, day in and day out, they were together. Yeah. Um, you know, he took him to the hunting camp. He wasn't yeah. a certified hunting dog per se, Yeah. but he was devastated. I had to put him on puppy, puppy Xanax. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Poor Dougie. But can I yeah. can I get in and just follow up with you a little bit, just from yeah. what I'm what I'm observing? Jay sort of you know tapped on it a little bit when he asked you the question, like, you know, you know, you wanted to sort of take it all on, right? To um, I'm I'm just sort of relating with my own experience too. Um, you know, he had he had sort of said, well, you know, dealing with your mom and and wanting to help your mom, right? And did that put your own grieving on hold? And you just had to, you went through all of that. And I know you speak all the time, right? And yes. and you're sort of, you, you know, you know, you're sort of used to all now. But where did, I can tell that you wanted to fix, right? You wanted to be the fixer. You were, you're taking on that role, right, as the fixer, as I did yes. in my family. Very, very similar, but it was, a lot of people, right? It was my kids and my husband and the whole thing. Um, taking on the fixer. But where where at the point did you allow yourself to start emotionally? Like how did your dad's loss like I want to get into that with you like like here, right? Yeah. Where where did emotionally how did it hit you? And then also when did you allow yourself to experience to let that emotion come out or did you like I know you got into you said you know to my dad and I'm going to do this I'm going to get back into you know health and fitness I'm going to get back into competitions again and I'm going to nutritionally um, support myself my wellness my self-care 
But where did you let the emotion come out? Or did you? Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, you know, through a grieving process, we have many emotions we experience. Mm. And some people who haven't gone through that don't understand it. Like, why am I mad today? Why am I crying tomorrow? Yeah. Um, so I would say my process through helping my mom, I was kind of just in survival mode. Yeah. Um, shocked, numb. A lot of times when I would lay down at night to go to sleep, um, you know, I would cry. I would think, how could you do this to me? You know, Mm. my dad and I were so close. Mm. I would talk to him, you know, um, you know, why, why, why did you do this? How could you do this? We had so many plans. You were moving to Tennessee. You wanted to be a grandfather. Like we had dreams of you having your grandkids and four wheelers and teaching hunting, whether it was a boy or a girl, you know, I hadn't been married and you're supposed to give me away. And, you know, I don't want to get married now. So it just, I kind of closed down. And at first I was numb uh, just went through the motions of the day to day, right? Get up, brush your teeth, kind of just kind of emotionless. Just yeah. went through the activities. Yeah. Um, and then I would have moments of that was probably the first couple months until they that we sold the house. And then I have angry. I was angry. Like, how could you? I, yeah. I'm I'm disappointed. Mm-hmm. Like, why? At least leave me a note so you can explain to me why you did this. Like. Give me signs, you know, Mm. and honestly, you know, people talk about the signs and, you know, um, spirits and whether you believe it or not. And okay. I understand like our family believes in afterlife and, but when my dad passed, I really now believe in it. I get signs from him all the time. He loved Forrest Gump movie. Um, and my significant other Rick knew that. Well, literally, when Rick was mowing the grass at my parents' house, maybe within the week of him passing, because we said that grass has to be cut. There's no way we can have his service and have everyone over here for, you know, a gathering after. And the the yard isn't immaculate Yeah, because my dad was particular with his grass. So Rick was mowing the grass on his riding lawnmower and out of nowhere, no trees around comes a feather floating down from the sky. Mm. Literally Rick jumped off of the lawnmower to capture that feather. And I was like, yeah, I really believe that that was a sign from dad. Like he loved Forrest Gump probably seen the movie it's the Mm. box of chocolates it's the feathers it's you know he even called my mom jenny and i was little jenny instead of little forest like that was our family like little thing yeah um and you know rick actually framed that feather and he still has it to this day wow so um i see signs all the time um i feel him you know around me and i really didn't hone in on that until he passed and you know i never bought a house. And I'm like, dad, you know, you take for granted picking up the phone and calling your parents to ask them advice. Yeah. And I think that was the reality for me. Like, Oh, dad's not here for me to pick up the phone and say, Hey, is, you know, is this a good interest rate for the mortgage? I want to buy a house. And what things do I look at? Can you come for the inspection? Like I was a nervous wreck the first time I bought my house. I'm like, dad isn't here. And mom knew a little because they had built a house and they had bought a house. Yeah. But you know, dad was the man he fixed. There was a problem in the family. He came to and fixed it. Right. Yeah. So, 
I was angry. How can I haven't learned all my lessons from you? Yeah, I was 34 at the point, but I'm I still have things to learn. How could you leave me here? You know, by choice, right? Yeah, because I still have things to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. So I had moments of angriness. Um cry. You would hear like songs on the radio that we would do family stuff to, or I remember dad singing and it, you know, mom, there were times that I would have to go grocery shopping her for her because Publix always played like the songs that, you know, they listened to yeah. or even old school songs to this day. And it really just kind of depends on what's going on. There are songs that I'll flip through the radio and hear. And I remember my mom and dad dancing in the living room when I was little and I just, yeah. you know, get tears in my eyes. Yeah. And stop seeing and, your know, tracks. Like, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. learn to just walk through life differently. Um, you know, your a new chapter's closed, like it's changed me. You know, I see things differently in a positive way. Um, but you just learn to walk each day. You're walking the journey just a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I still honor him. I speak about it for him. Um, you know, I was angry probably... On and off the first maybe six to eight months. Mm. Um, that's how long I went through the anger phase, not hating him by any means at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, just not understanding, which yeah. the not understanding caused me anger inside. Yeah. Um, you know, just all the plans we had. Mm. Uh, I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to change my last name. I'm going to keep your name forever, dad, you know. Um, and then I... Mark had approached me, Debona, about uh, that worked with my dad, who now is partner with me in protecting the guardian. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hey, we're speaking out on suicide prevention, specifically with law enforcement. I'd love for you to be part of it. And I'm like, okay, I know I talked to friends and family about it. I don't know if I can get in front of a group of people uh, that I don't know and share my story mm. because I share as a survivor, right? Like yeah. kind of what I've shared with you guys today. Yeah. Um, and he's like, well, you, you know, you, it's okay to show a little emotion, but I can't, we can't have you hysterical. So we have to get you to a point of healed to be able to share your story effectively. Mm. Um, so, you know, I went to some of his talks and he would share my story, his portion, how he worked with my dad and how he went to the scene that night and what he saw. So that kind of prepped me, if you yeah. will. It, it gave a little bit of exposure of what I would be like. Yeah. Uh, so the first two talks I did, I would say was in the um, maybe first year and a half, um, got a little teary eyed, kind of cut the story short. Um and each time I presented, I would elaborate a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, I I did go to therapy and I did go to counseling. I would say at the two-year mark. That's when I was ready to be able to say, okay, you're a healthcare provider, but you can't fix yourself. Sharing your story can help others, but we have to work on you. Mm. Um, just, it always came back to that survivor guilt. What, what did I miss? Why did I not see the signs? Why did I not say, dad, no, we are going, Hey dad, we're going to go to lunch and trick them and pull into a therapy office. Right. Like, yeah. why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Um, but you, you can't beat yourself up. Right. And that's, that's the biggest thing that I share now with families is that have gone through it is it's normal to have survivor guilt. You know, my mom 
had survivor guilt. And I said, you are having survivor guilt. Like you are questioning why you didn't do or see or call me or you can't do that. We can't change the past. Mm. We just know that. And I learned because I thought suicide was one thing when it doesn't happen to you. And now that you go through it, it's their way of ending the pain. Mm. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's, it's selfish. It's, any person who has the proper chemical imbalance in their brain is not going to take their own life. So they're not doing it intentionally to hurt any one person. Yeah. They are doing it because they are in so much pain that can't be healed. And they feel that's the only way out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Like that, that is my best explanation that I can give. Yeah. And you know, what they don't realize now, now the pain is gone, right? So he's, you know, a guardian angel looking down, now seeing what we're going through, yes. the unanswered questions. And, yeah. you know, who knows how he feels and what that's like. And one yeah. day I'll meet him again, right? Yeah. But, and we can have those conversations yeah. over a vodka and club soda, which he always liked to drink. <laughs> but, um, I went through therapy. It helped me. Uh, they really opened my eyes to, you know, reading books about mental illness. And that's where I kind of dove into the the diet and the nutrition, um, you know, and thought, oh, this is up my alley. So let me not just apply it to myself, but take it to my patients. Yeah. Really opened up to the different grieving processes. And, you know, I thought, this is my dad. I love him to death. Like he was everything. I'm daddy's little girl. Why am I angry? Why am I angry? Like I know how to deal with my patients and healthcare and their yeah. grieving process. But when it's you, it's completely different. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't be mad at him. Um, you know, and then there would be moments where I'm just okay. I'm not numb, but I'm just okay. And I'm like, well, shouldn't I be upset? Well, again, that's a stigma of we're supposed to grieve a certain way. Everybody's different. My right. mom grieved one way. I grieved one way. The dog grieved one way. Yeah. So, um, I would say after two years, I got, um, you know, some therapy, some help, um, you know, really connecting with Mark DeBona and speaking about it has helped. Um, yeah, I would say that's, and, and just there are moments now, you know, obviously it's coming up on 10 years. I always celebrate on his birthday and, yeah. uh, you know, his, his day of, his angel day is what I call it. You know, yeah. I didn't want to celebrate Valentine's day forever yeah. because I thought, Nope, I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see advertisements. So, um, but I really feel like that day was chosen. So he was afraid like we would ever forget him. Right. Like we'll never forget him. him it's a day of love. And it, it, like, yeah. he's pouring his whole heart out to us. That's how I took it. Cause yeah. you can take a positive, you can take a negative. Um, and regardless how you look at it, it's devastating. And you, you just learn, like I said, to walk through life differently. Um, yeah, absolutely. I totally yeah. relate with you, um, you know, sharing that. And thank you for sharing that with us. You know, that's a part that I was eager to sort of find out about you. Like where, where, where did that go? Where did that lead you? Where, when did you allow yourself to start grieving? Or allow yourself to feel some emotion and you identified for stuff like the anger, right? Everyone goes through different. I also went through that, like, like mad at him. I was mad, um, not hate as you as you said. It was, it was, um, just mad. Like, why, why did you do this? Why, how mm -hmm. could you do this? 
you know, your kids were, you know, so important to you, all of those type of things. And, and it's so much to offer, you know, um, and, and so young also, right. Going to law school, being a police officer, it's so much ahead of him. And yeah, the anger, but I never let my family see it. Um, <laughs> or, or even crying, right. Um, because I was the fixer, I had to be there and I had to be the strong one because, our, you know, his siblings were all struggling really badly and and we were all numb, like just like yourself, we were all numb trying to process it um, and trying to, is this a nightmare that I'm in? Um, right. You know, is this, I don't know, this is not real. This did not happen right now. Mm-hmm. It does not happen. And I, I, you know, Jay knows, I mean, I sort of looked over him at one, one point and sort of smiled because I was relating with him and he, he knows my story. So um, he, he sort of smiled back at me saying, yeah, this is sort of something that similar that you went through. But I came into work the next day. Right? I have a little cafe here and I came into work the next day um, after Alex passed. Um, really, this did not happen. So I have to go on normal with my everyday routine and come into work and said to my staff, don't let anyone come into the kitchen to me. Just just don't let anyone come in. And of course, that did not happen. People were barging in, like law enforcement and people. It's a very big, you know, it's a hub for first responders. And they were all coming in. And, and I could not handle when someone gave me some sort of, um, or uh, showed me some sort of compassion. I did not want that. I didn't dis- want to suppress it. Well, I did not want that compassion because, and I did not want them to feel sorry or or sad for me or offer condolences. I did not want any of that because I was I was not going to be able to hold myself together if you do that to me. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm trying to, hold, and this is not real. So I don't want to be holding myself together. Like, so eventually I went home. I mean, it was it was a bad idea, right? Um, and I didn't even realize why I was doing it, but in hindsight this is what was happening and then you know definitely I I had the anger I was mad all those questions the why you know why would you do this why would you do this to the family um you know now you know he's looking up and seeing that when we went through but I became the fixer for a long time um again being strong for the family too um until I think there was a certain point maybe a year and a half about a year and a half in and I did a little sort of assessment on, you know, balance, right, in my life, right? Yes. And um, and where where the balance was, and I actually got to write it down, like different things, spiritually, um, health-wise, fitness-wise, all that type of stuff. And I realized, wow, I'm totally out of whack here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not taking care of me at all. And... um. So that sort of was eye-opening for me. And um, I had to start to drop being the fixer. Um, and I, I realized I can't fix, I can't fix their hurt. Um, I, can, I can support them and I can guide them, but I can't take on their pain. And I was taking on all that pain for everybody in the house. Um, and, and I had to let that go. I had to learn how to let that go. Um, spiritually, definitely my my awakening right um definitely yeah. flourished um after alex passed for sure and you know, my tuition was high um you know very much so and all those signs just like what you said um 
became very much more evident. You know, I noticed those signs much more. Um, so I get you. Now you're in Protecting the Guardian. Tell yes. us what you do. Tell us what you do to help first responders and families. Absolutely. So um, Protected Guardian, we have four founding members and we each bring a different aspect of mental wellness and suicide prevention Mm -hmm. to the table. Yeah. Um, Myself being a survivor, a law enforcement daughter, right? Yeah. Um, And then we have Mark who um, is retired from law enforcement and has his stories and his experiences that he shares. Um, as you know, someone who has had moments of, of, of attempting suicide. Yeah, we so, we interviewed him on on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. he's he's a great guy. Yeah. So it's funny because you know he's known me since I was little. So to be an adult and speaking with him, right? Yeah. Um, and I worked with his wife, who is our you know in the back end of protecting the guardian. Yeah. Um, she's a nurse, so we knew each other from the hospital. Wow. Um, and then we have uh, Nick, who is in you know, out out of Chicago and he works in psychology with mainly with the Chicago PD and has his own company for uh, crisis intervention training. And then we have Ron who is retired law enforcement, retired nurse, um, comes from law enforcement family and his son is an ER physician. So he's got a big mix of both healthcare and law enforcement. Yeah. Um, was a flight nurse. So he's seen it all too, both ends. Yeah. So we all bring something different to the table, but my specific role in protecting the guardian is focusing on survivor, uh, family, wellness, uh, the nutrition, you know, we really want to bring in, we talk about how law enforcement, you know, you've got specifically, we focus on law enforcement at the moment. We want to reach out to all first responders, but yeah. you know, you're not just handed your gun and your car keys to your patrol car and your badge. And here you go, right? You go through training, you have a field training officer, you're slowly worked into the, the program and the career. Yeah. So then you have a 20, 25 year career. And then all of a sudden one day you're just done. Right. So we really would like to see and implement a phase out phase where you know, you're mandated to go on a part-time role or you're, you slowly transition into retirement as opposed to your everything, it's your identity today mm. and it's all you to tomorrow, you're a civilian yeah, and it's all over. I think that's the toughest part because the job is so demanding. It's, you know, um, your identity, your autonomy, you're the protector, and then tomorrow you're a civilian. Yes, you have your retired ID. Yes, you still carry, but it's different. It's a different mindset. Like my dad said, the phone's not ringing 24-7. You complain about it when you're working, but then when it's gone, you're like, oh. So um, I really focus on incorporating the families. You know, me having the survivor guilt. What signs did I miss? You know, check in with your significant other, your husband, your wife, your spouse, your partner, um, how to incorporate families, you know, the importance of helping your husband or your wife or your partner say, hey, yeah, let's go work out. Find that hobby. That's my biggest thing is find that hobby that's not around the beer the smoking, the alcohol, mm. because we can all relate to that. There's yeah. times now I say at work, I'm like, oh, after this meeting, I need a glass of wine, but yeah. that's not the best choice. I probably should go, you know, put some running shoes on and just go for a nice brisk walk outside. Right. Yes. 
So healthy habits, you know, go fishing, go hunting, develop a hobby, like woodworking, whatever your niche is, but not sitting, you know, drinking, reminiscing about, you know, they, they joke about you go to a cop party and there's more beer bottles, empty beer bottles and alcohol that's consumed than anywhere. Yeah. Um, because it's easy to go to, it's easy to pick up that beer when you're getting off shift, even for, you know, fire and, you know, healthcare workers, it's yeah. easy working night shift. You're going for the brunch for the mimosas and the bloody Marys and it's nine o'clock in the morning and you're, mm. that's your 5 PM, 6 PM. Right. Yeah. So it's just very unhealthy habits with the shift work, you know, spouses don't understand the missed birthday parties and kids events and you know your spouse has a function at work and you're working um it it plays a role so just really educating the families from the beginning of the career uh is is very important on what to expect you know we all know that it's not easy to be in a relationship or married to a healthcare worker a physician a nurse a fire ems law enforcement families are part of the career whether they like it or not right they're part of it part of it yeah, exactly. Um, so just really involving the families from the beginning, um, really focusing on nutrition, making like meal prep, like dad's going to prep, mom's going to prep food, the kids are going to prep food, um, you know, just so you're eating healthy, quick habits, because yeah, it's really easy to drive by IHOP or the Waffle House or, you know, and eat a nice greasy fatty breakfast when you're getting off shift to go home and go to sleep. Mm. You know, what's open at two o'clock in the morning? Donut shops. Where do you think like cops (laughs) that came from? Donut shops were the only thing open. So you're eating, you know, convenience store, fast food, non-healthy food so really prepping the food it takes time Mm. but you know really making your meals or um you know having snacks that are healthy um working out getting those endorphins i mean i fell off the boat through the holidays just this recently uh you know not doing my morning cardio yeah setting the alarm a little bit earlier isn't isn't fun i especially when it's cold out i the last thing i want to do is get out of bed right Mm. but after i get out of bed and i go in the garage i don't even have to leave my house i have cardio equipment in my garage go in the garage do 30 minutes of cardio 20 minutes of cardio there Mm. are mornings that i don't even need a cup of coffee that i used to live off of because i've got these endorphins of a natural release from doing cardio listening to some music whatever that might be or you know a self-help book audio book and I don't even finish my cup of coffee. I'm throwing it out where before I don't do cardio. I'm dragging out of bed, you know, Oh, we're just going through the routine of another day. I'm on my third cup of coffee before I even leave the house. And I get to work and have another cup of coffee. And before you know it, like now my hormones internally are becoming off because my adrenals are stressed. I'm not sleeping. Now I'm having too much coffee. Now I can't sleep the next night because I'm caffeine overload. So something as simple as that, you know, really just incorporating the family, like, okay, when mom or dad are off work and it's not their shift day, we're going to, you got to plan date nights, plan dates for your kids. Because there were many times my mom and I would meet my dad on duty for dinner and he gets a call in the middle of eating at a restaurant and we have to take his food home to go, but Mm. not everybody understands that. And Mm. I think that's why you see a lot of 
fire police, healthcare nurses together because we get the shift work. We understand it. Yeah. Hey, babe, I made a late arrest. Okay, I get it because I had just had a patient code 20 minutes before I walked off shift. And yeah. now I have to do reports and stay late. Yeah, and and most of the time it's it's like very, very common like that all first responders would start to miss holiday events, right? Birthday parties. Yeah. All of those type of things, right? Uh, it's just part of the job, right? It's part of the normality and it becomes normal that, uh, you know, that first responder is, is sort of less interacting with the family. But yeah, when sort of changes or you know that backpack is starting to get full now they're coming home and they're even more or less interacting with the family because they just had such a bad shift calls on here and I'm not sharing it with my family here but I'm not interacting with them either because I don't I don't want to talk about it right right yeah and then they suppress it yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you suppress it, you hide it, and that builds up. Yeah, and then you sit really when nice. no one's home, and you have that beer or that you know whiskey, and yeah. you just relive and rethink, and you have no one to talk to to get it off your chest to feel better. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're very very every every interview that we do, families come up very very often, and right. it's something that all the time, right? And um, it's something that I could say. Um, as a family member of a first responder, just like yourself, right? Um, and and your husband is a first responder too, right? But yeah. the missing the missing thing was um, a big missing piece was um, not being aware. I mean, you 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 were in a first responder, but not being aware of all those signs, right? Um, those red flags to watch out for. We wish we would have been debriefed, right, beforehand to say, this is what your first responder could see and this is how you're going to be able to help them or support them a little bit better, right? Um, right. And be ready for it because they are going to have see trauma, right? They're a trauma duty job. So, and they are going to be putting in that backpack because they're not going to share with you. But this is how you can support them and um, maybe interacting with them a little bit better if you are educated about right. what's going on. And that education yes. piece is missing yeah, from is. a lot of families, missing, and it's needed. Um, oh, so I, I, I commend you for doing that and, you know, being totally supportive in that area. We're very, very, um, I mean, that's something that we, we talk about all the time. I'm actually putting on an event if Jay wants to chime in and start to share that with you uh yes ma'am uh and to all our listeners mark your calendars march 9th we're having a first responder family readiness workshop Mm. and uh the idea with with that um has a lot to do with with kind of the content of the conversation that we're having right now we're looking to preemptively educate not us we're presenting it right so we've brought together uh, a group of of culturally competent clinicians uh people that that treat mental health and first response from a number of different modalities. We have equestrian therapists there. We have, uh, you know, breathing and mindfulness coaches to, to peer support to therapists and, and clinicians with other backgrounds. Mm. All of them work uh, either exclusively or majority with first responders, which is very important Yeah, uh, for reasons that, that most of us understand, right? Mm. There are like cultural picadillos within first response that that uh, makes meeting those needs a, a little bit different. I also wanted to touch on a couple of things that you said about education. Like when you were talking about uh, the phasing in and phasing out, right? Yeah. That kind of got me thinking like, 
um, on the pathway to becoming a nurse, how much training, like how prepared does that industry make you for the first time that you have a code? And who's around you when it first happens? There's like all hands on deck, right? It's support. And you've been prepared for that environment. I know in the fire service, uh, you know, like be, the way that uh, that fire conditions are simulated before you ever arrive in your first burning building through the academy and, and also who's there beside you, right? Everybody is there. You're prepared for it mentally before it occurs. It's not just the families. It's the first responders. I'll speak for myself, but I've got a good look at the culture too, right? We don't know what the heck to do when, uh, you know, you, you see something, you see a child really hurt or a child pass away and they, they look a little like your kid and they're about the same age or some type of trauma like that. And all of a sudden, what's going on with my body? What is this? I've never had. And, and what do I do? I mean, you, usually end up leaning on the bottle or, or some other exactly. unhealthy coping mechanism because it hasn't been, you know, um, and it can be. Those lessons can be taught and learned in the same way things get a little tense if you run out of oxygen in the fire too, but there's 10, 20 different steps and processes and procedures and and it's it's beat into us and we know what to do. But nobody ever says, hey, if you start suffering from traumatic reactions, if, if you start having this happen and that happen, it's okay to talk about it. And what a thrill it is to see these conversations begin to start taking place and to start normalizing mm. these conversations yeah. and, and letting people know that, you know, you are tough. It's got nothing to do with that. You're stuck with the human condition like the rest of us. I had trouble admitting it myself, <laughs> uh, but there is there is a better way uh, to wellness or, or you can choose suffering. But, man, we've got to at least give these cultures uh, the option. Exactly. No, you're, you're spot on with that. And, you know, I think a lot of times too, is the trust with the administration, even with nursing, with healthcare, with fire, with police, law enforcement is, you know, if you show any signs of mental instability to administration, what is the possible repercussion? Yeah. Yeah. Do they really trust the EPAs? Is it really confidential? These are the questions we get when we present, you know, if the sheriff finds out or your chief finds out about it, or my nurse manager finds out that I had a moment of just instability and it's like, Oh, well, they're not fit for duty. You can't go out there with a firearm. You can't go out there, you know, to look for criminals. You can't report to, you know, a fire burning building. I can't code a patient. Like, are you mentally stable enough? Mm -hmm. So there's that aspect too, of that trust where, you know, we're not at desk just filing papers. Those jobs are needed, but we're taking care of others. We're protecting communities. We're protecting, you know, citizens and taking care of the ill. And we need to be fit for duty. So there's that stigma around it, too, where mm. I can't show any signs yep. because I might be out of a job. And that's my livelihood for my family. And then then what are the repercussions? Of then that? Right. Yeah. And then that did more stress. Yes. And I think those concerns are valid too, right? Those those are understandable from an authority having jurisdiction, from an administration, uh, for for a few reasons, but uh, mostly because of the way that things have always like it's a it's a it's a reaction, right? It's a knee jerk reaction. Whereas the truth is, we know enough about 
trauma, mental health, and recovery, that the outcome is to the benefit of the individual, their family, the department, the community, or the or the hospital, or whoever they're serving. The, everybody receives the benefit when a person enters treatment from a place of suffering and comes back from treatment in, in like a state of wellness. Um, mm. And that'll trend, right? The more people that are comfortable reaching out for help, the more people that return to duty, that are walking that example in their careers, they're, they're you know, on display for people to see because people notice when you're suffering, whether they say something oh, yeah. or not, right? So then people see you when you get well. And, uh, you know, I don't know. We're not there yet, though, right? That's a real pot that has to be overcome where administrations have to set a good example by educating themselves, by by trusting the mental health system the way they do the healthcare system to return their members back in good standing, mm. and uh, and then they'll gain Absolutely. trust. Yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, part of um, what we do with Protecting the Guardian is, you know, reach out to smaller agencies um, nationwide, uh, whether they have a you know, critical incident that they need debriefing on, or, you know, they've had suicide either in their own agency or maybe a traumatic event happened on duty. Um, you know, just offering to talk about it in a safe space, mm, right? That's yeah. the biggest thing, safe yeah. space. Um, and you can even see in some of the talks where the chief will walk in or administration will walk in and just pop their head in and see, and you can feel the energy in the room change. Then they leave and it changes back, right? Yes, yes. So really the focus is uh, for us to reach out to those agencies whose administration supports mental wellness. Mm -hmm. You know, because we've had some agencies we've reached out to like, hey, we're here, you know, We'd love to come out, talk to you guys, do some educational piece and share. And, you know, when the response from administration is, oh, we don't have a problem. We don't need that. Yeah. We're good. There's a problem. Like, That's the problem right, <laughs> right. there. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That's where it starts. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I loved, yeah. Teresa, I just want to touch on a little bit. You talked about, um, you know, the retirement, that transition. I would love to see um, a phase of transitioning. You're, you know, you're, you're phasing out into part-time. And, and uh, as for someone who's, you know, coming to a close at the end of their career, right, and getting ready for retirement and taking up hobbies and, and talking about, you know, are you prepared um, even for maybe like their families, like college funds and all of those type of things and financial areas, right? Are you prepared? So let's prepare you because, you know, they're really great at teaching you how to be a good cop, right? Or to be a cop, but right. no one, no one shows you how to, to transition to out from it, to retire, <laughs> right? And transition well so that you're well after it. I absolutely love that. And, um, I can't wait to see sort of really where you guys go with that um, mm-hmm. as far as like really, really putting that into action because it is a huge problem. Huge, it huge is problem. Huge. It huge. is huge. Yeah. And we obviously have to start with those, you know, maybe agencies who already have administration on board that, yes, this is important. Like how much mental health, uh, wellness and taking care of you as an individual do you get in the police academy? Mm. Yeah. Minimal to none, right? How much in, 
you know, going through firefighting, EMT, minimal to none. It's all about taking care of patients, keeping a community safe. So let's do our mental wealth, wellness check-ins, right? Absolutely. So those, those administrations and chiefs and sheriffs who already believe that this is a critical, crucial part of the program, you know, I'd like to pilot with smaller agencies to say, okay, you guys have, you know, X amount of people looking at retirement over the next few years. Let's start a program where they do work part-time and your accountability is held. So what are your hobbies? What did you do on your days off? Like, you know, have a retired meeting kind of like, you know, the VFWs have, right? Like have this retired monthly meeting that's fun. And maybe, you know, they all decide we're going to go bowling or we're going to go on a fishing trip or Mm. people who hunt, you know, they're going to go on a hunting trip or Mm. really pull everybody together. And then you make smaller groups within connect them with the other others who are retired that did the same type of work because let's cops hang out with cops because they don't trust anyone else. Right. The hops hang out with first responders, firefighters hang out with cops and healthcare workers. Like we all hang out with each other because yeah. we all get each other. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, where's that accountability? Where's that check-in? Like Jay said, you can tell when someone's not well at work, they're quiet, they're not talking, you know? So really just having those check-ins with your coworkers Mm. of any field, right? In today's world, like this is not just in first responders. It's in every single field. Mm. Um, Yes. But just keeping an eye, you work closely. We spend more time at work than we do at home with our loved ones. Yeah, absolutely. So you know when a coworker's not well. I can tell when my nurses walk in and I'm like, is it, is it work related or is it personal? Yeah. Because that's how I address it differently. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know when it's work related and I'm like, okay, well, I know this employee, you know, doesn't like to talk about things. They want to calm down. And so I say, okay, before you leave today, I need five minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm giving you your, your six hours to work through it. Um, my door's open, but we have to talk before you leave today, whether Mm. it's personal or professional, because it's about work-life balance, right? Yeah. Well, if if they're not well in the home, they're not going to perform well at work. Yeah, absolutely. If the head is not in the right space, right, they're not going to be able to react or or respond to whatever they need to do at work in a, in a, in a, in a good frame of mind, right? If the head is, if the head is somewhere else. Yeah. But I think um, starting in smaller agencies, that phase out, and then, you know, really planning with that chief, that sheriff, like, what does that look like? And, Mm -hmm. you know, let the retirees that are coming out, like, what would you like to see? You know, bring the families back in. Let's get prepared. Yes. Yes. Even my significant other, he retired from the sheriff's office and the army at the same time. So now it's like, I can see it in him and he just retired in August and it's like, he enjoys it, but there are days I can tell he's bored and we have four dogs. So he's busy. You know, he takes them out. They're on a schedule. He started doing jujitsu. Like he's going to his wellness check-ins. Like, obviously he was very close to my dad. Uh, Detrimental losing my dad really affected him, but because he's a, you know, law enforcement first responder, he suppressed yeah. I, I knew it because I know him and I'm good at reading. I could tell yeah. it affected him. Did he talk about it initially? No, no, he yeah. didn't, but he goes to therapy. I'm like, we're not having phase two. Like you saw what dad went through. You are young. He's the same age as my dad when my dad retired. So mm-hmm. I'm having this like stigma, right? Yeah. Um, like it's not going to happen again. And 
you know, I, I had nightmares. I couldn't fall asleep. I, mm. I literally, after my dad passed away, it was like every single night I dreamt the same scene, driving down the street, seeing all these lights. And I, I would want to wake up for that nightmare to be over. But then when I woke up, reality hit that he was gone. So then I would want to go back to sleep. It's just this weird combination, right? It's yeah. Like we usually want to wake up from a nightmare and be like, oh, thank goodness. That yeah. was just a, a dream. Yeah. But in these situations, you wake up and you're like, oh, it's reality. Can mm. I go back to sleep? And mm. I'm like, no, that's a sign of depression. We have to work through it. So, yeah, um, yeah you just have to hold accountability, um, you know, stay on top of things, stay busy. So, it's hard. It's yes. it's hard to make that transition, you know, um, and, yeah. and they need support. They absolutely yeah. do. And I love that. And I can't wait to keep continue to follow um, what you guys do and, um, you know, possibly even have you up here for one of our events that we're putting on. We'd and love to present to. That. Anything we can do. Yeah. I, yeah. Whether it's all of us, one of us, a few of us. Yeah. I we, would love to. Yeah. We actually just interviewed uh, the police chief. Um one of the police chiefs and is one of his stress team. And that was one of the things that they wanted to get into that they said it was a, a, a big issue um, that they noticed that retirement, you know, they, they have a big department and um, it was chief, it was chief um, Matt Kennedy. Yeah. And, um, and they talked about that retirement. Um, you know, some of the guys talking to some of the guys who have retired and are like, you know, they say I missed. What did they say? The, I missed the circus. I I missed the circus, but I don't miss the, the clowns. clowns. Correct. And, yes. and and they were like, and they can still do details, but they said uh, he said some feedback was, it's not the same. You're retired, and it's just not the same. Mm-hmm. And um and he said so we want to we want to put in a start implementing a program for that type of stuff to to be able to help um transitioning. So that might be something that you can connect with in, in Absolutely. Quincy up in Massachusetts. We'll talk. We'll talk again yes. later after that. Um, so I wanna I wanna just start to get into it a little bit. If you um had something to say to a family mm-hmm. um of a first responder who are struggling, right? Um what advice would you give them to to um encourage them to not give up, right? On the support, don't give up, right? Don't give up, and and seek help. What support would you, would you, what would you say to them? Absolutely, I would um, really encourage family counseling. Like the night that my dad passed, my mom and I's full discussion was how her and I were going to go to therapy mm-hmm. to understand the behavior. And you know, it's good to go to therapists who deal with first responders, law enforcement. It's it's a different. It's different than just general family therapy. The educational part for families, right, is, is uh, that's what I'm hearing in there amongst all of that is the educational part, especially for the families, right, and and, and the spouse, who, who whoever the first responder is coming home to, right, um, mm-hmm. being sort of aware of those red flag signs, n- n- be aware of those behavioral changes, don't ignore them, um, you know, address them whatever way you can and also seek help. That's what I'm hearing. Seek help, um, whether it be therapy to, to get you through that. And if someone's struggling in the home, if one person is struggling in the home, you can guarantee the rest of the family is struggling. And everyone is so the, the whole family is struggling together, but they can also get well together. Mm. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, make family days. Like if yeah. you guys love, you know, I don't know, going whitewater rafting or going to an amusement park, like make it a monthly thing. So you have something to look forward to. Yeah. Like everyone's off. This is the time we're going to enjoy. Yeah. You know, and kids understanding missing sporting events, I think is the biggest too. Yeah. You yeah. Know, having that parent there. Yeah. Um, I want to have the parent day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, Trace, this has been awesome. Awesome conversation. <laughs> no, it's been a great conversation. It needs to be heard. And um, and when we continue, organizations like yours and, and, and ours, right, um, when we can connect and, and share common, um, you know, awareness of, you know, what you're doing to help in, in your area, but it's, it's all over. It's universal, right? How can we just help each other be able to be well, live healthy and also taking that into the first responses what we do right is how can we help those first responders to to know that you're worthy and it's okay to be um vulnerable let yourself be vulnerable um because it's not a sign of weakness it's a sign of strength right um having that courage I mean Jay shared a long time ago you know I I didn't want people to know I didn't share for Mm -hmm. a long time that I was struggling I I guess I had to develop courage to be mm-hmm. able to seek help and, and that courage mm-hmm. leads to strength, right? It does. So Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. It's it's um so yeah, we're we're getting there. We see change. Yeah. It's you know, and um we're part of it. We're all part of getting that change happening. And the m- many more organizations that come to helping someone, well then guess what? It's even if one person if it helps one person um save a life um and realize that suicide is doesn't have to be the only option for you. You can get help and get well and end your career healthy, right? Exactly. And, and sustain enjoy. a long career, yeah. And, yeah. and enjoy your career, right, too. And enjoy it afterwards. Also. Exactly. Therese, well, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Um, I really enjoyed listening to you share your story, share about your dad, that personal, um, you know, relation to why what you're doing your purpose now right what you're doing in your life to be able to help others and help families and then also help them transition out of a career and lead, still live a healthy life I'm so grateful to have you on tonight for oh, sure. well thank you so much I thank you both it was my pleasure to be here and you know I I appreciate you all and all your work and you know my condolences to you guys for your struggles and your losses you know, it really is sad that loss brings everybody together, right? Yeah, like yeah. we would have never met if we hadn't gone through such a devastating time. Yes. So yeah. just trying to keep that positive mindset, I think is, is very important. Yes, How, absolutely. You know, it takes a village and the more of us that are doing I say that all the time. positive things, the more the word gets out. So I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it yeah. and I appreciate the opportunity and appreciate the both of you as well. Thank you so much. You, you, you hit it nail on the head for sure. They're right there, just what you said. Um, and yes, thank you so much. Thank you both. Thank you. Therese shared with us that losing her dad to suicide directed her on a new path to helping others. Her father had recently retired when he passed after serving a long career in law enforcement. Therese is a nurse who's worked in cardiology She's been around trauma environments and felt she should have seen the signs that her dad was struggling and how she herself experienced survivor's guilt. 
In order to get through her grieving, Therese turned to health and nutrition. It felt better for her to focus on healthy coping. Therese is now part of a wonderful organization called Protecting the Guardian, who focuses on suicide prevention, awareness, retirement strategies, and families. We're thankful to Therese for sharing her story and hope she has many years of helping others. If you're a first responder who's struggling now or a concerned family member, reach out to one of the Hope Lines and we can guide you to helpful resources. Those numbers are 781-817-3357 or 617-657-9108. Till next time. Till next time.